the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, as you may have predicted, the Christian Outlook. This week, my conversation with uh, Lois Anderson from Oregon Right to Life made the national cut. And we'll hear from Sarah Zylstra of the Gospel Coalition. She'll talk about the pro-life message and the recent election. And Nuri Turkel, author of No Escape, The True Story of China's Genocide of the Uyghurs, will talk about just that. All of that coming up with the Christian Outlook in the second hour of today's program. First, we'll take a look at some of the day's news. And James Blend will join me in the second half of this first hour with the lighter side of the news that will include a taste test. You're just going to have to stick around for more details on that. Well, Saturday evening, snow flurries are likely to leave only a light dusting and end well before Sunday's frigid temperatures arrive. So say the meteorologists. Well, Portland is heading for another round of cold temperatures and possible snow flurries this weekend. Although the city is most likely to see light dusting of snow, that doesn't stick around. Dry conditions throughout the afternoon will continue into Saturday morning. Uh, Arctic air is expected to push southward Saturday night, lowering the temperatures, changing rain showers into snow showers. The cold front could arrive as early as 5 p.m. on Saturday. And that, of course, would cause snow uh, snow levels to quickly move to lower elevations and set up evening snow flurries between 6 and 9 p.m. in the Portland area. Although rapid gusting east winds will clear that out uh, fairly quickly. Anyway, snow will be falling, but it's not expected to stick or accumulate. It's just going to be very, very cold. Well, a Colorado Court of Appeals judge ruled against Christian Baker Jack Phillips on Thursday after he appealed an earlier court decision requiring him to bake a cake for an individual's gender transition. Phillips won a previous case at the Supreme Court in 2018 after he declined to make a wedding cake for a same-sex couple but was sued again in March of 2021 after a transgender individual wanted Phillips, who owns Masterpiece Cake Shop, to make a cake that was blue on the inside and pink on the outside, or the other way around. Well, Alliance for Defending Freedom announced in a press release on Thursday that the Colorado Court of Appeals had ruled against Phillips, but said that a plan was already in motion to appeal that ruling. And Ronna McDaniel won re-election as chairwoman of the Republican National Committee on Friday in a closed-door vote conducted by members. The incumbent handily defeated California attorney Harmeet Dillon and MyPillow CEO Mike Lindell, securing 111 votes to Dillon's 51 and Lindell's 4, according to a a source present for the vote. There was also one write-in vote for Republican New York congressman and former gubernatorial candidate, Lee Zeldin. The GOP's disappointing losses in the midterm elections prompted fractions uh, within the party and the conflict. Uh, Some members pitched electing a new leader for the committee, or rather to the committee, who could uh, steward the party to better electoral results. Ahead of the uh, Friday election, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis told Charlie Kirk, founder of the conservative Turning Point USA, I think we need to get some new blood in the RNC. 
Perhaps that's true, but it won't be this time around. Bracing for impact, major U.S. cities are prepping for possible violence after the Atlanta riots and with the Tyree Nichols video release. So far, uh, nothing has erupted. Graveyard Schiff, well, Representative uh, Matt Gates, a Republican from Florida, introduced the Preventing Extreme Negligence with Classified Information Licenses or Pencil Resolution on Thursday that would bar Representative Adam Schiff the Democrat from California, from accessing any classified information. The resolution expresses the sense of the U.S. House of Representatives that Congressman Adam Schiff should not have access to classified information, should be investigated by the House Ethics Committee, and should have his comments made during any proceeding of Congress regarding Russian collusion and the Trump campaign officially struck from the record, Gates' office said in a statement. You might recall that he uh, announced, uh, Representative Adam Schiff, that he intends to run for the Senate in California just yesterday. Well, a pastor who had been repeatedly jailed over COVID protocols is set to face his, face his final trial. And in the document debacle, former officials say Merrick Garland has multiple options for handling the vice president or former vice president Pence classified records probe. Governor DeSantis is proposing making child rapists eligible for the death penalty by foregoing a unanimous jury verdict. A level playing field, Elon Musk met with Speaker Kevin McCarthy and Hakeem Jeffries to ensure Twitter will be fair. Really uncomfortable, a superintendent in Arizona, previously honored by the Obama White House for being a champion of change, blasted the white race, apparently every member, as problematic and said they should feel, they collectively, every single one, really, really uncomfortable in an unearthed media interview. Senators have been blocked from viewing documents seized from both Donald Trump and Joe Biden. The senators in both parties voiced their frustration after they left a closed door briefing on Wednesday with National Intelligence Director Arville Haynes, who declined to show them copies of the classified documents discovered at either of the president or former president's homes or um, otherwise uh, overseen facilities. Haynes also refused to discuss the sensitive material, citing ongoing special counsel investigations, according to members of the Senate Intelligence Committee. The border crisis is claiming lives as fentanyl deaths soar. The New York Post reports that fentanyl seizures across the U.S. southern border continue to skyrocket, with 9,400 pounds of the killer drug seized between October and December, a 241 percent increase year on year, according to federal figures. The synthetic opioid continues to poison the country and smugglers are eschewing other drugs to bring it in with fentanyl busts increasing 52 percent month on month in December. As I mentioned, Representative Adam Schiff announced a Senate run and immediately gets attacked by a progressive group. Representative Schiff announced Thursday that he will be launching a campaign for Senate uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein's California seat in 2024. He was recently removed from the House Intelligence Committee by Speaker McCarthy in response to the former's conduct as a lead investigator during the Trump impeachment hearings. The progressive group was quick to attack Representative Adam Schiff after he announced his bid for California U.S. Senate seat on Thursday. Adam Schiff plays the role of Trump antagonist on TV, but a recent book details how he stalled and undermined leaders trying to hold Trump accountable in Congress. And he never challenges uh, corporations or the Democratic establishment. That's a quote from Adam Green, co-founder of the Progressive Change Campaign Committee. A California judge mandated footage of Paul Pelosi's attack be released. 
It has now been released and it's rather unpleasant to watch. But there had been questions about the veracity of the details of what happened. The video makes clear precisely what happened. A judge in California ordered the release of the video of the attack of Paul Pelosi, the husband of former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, inside their San Francisco home. The San Francisco Superior Court Judge Stephen Murphy denied a request by prosecutors Wednesday and declared that there is no reason to keep the footage secret after it was aired by the prosecution during a preliminary hearing last month. A U.S. operation in Somalia killed senior ISIS leader and... Ten other ISIS members, the military operation uh, on Wednesday uh, killed the ISIS leader and 10 others. Two senior administration officials said on Thursday from a mountainous cave complex in northern Somalia, uh, Bilal al-Sudani is assessed to have supported ISIS expansion and activities across Africa and beyond the continent. Military officials anticipated capturing him, but the enemy combatants' response resulted in his death and the deaths of others, senior administration officials said, adding that there were no casualties among the American service members or civilians. They describe him as a terrorist of significance, while U.S. forces were able to gather new intelligence on future ISIS plans as well. A California judge blocked a law punishing doctors for disseminating misinformation The judge blocked the California law that sought to penalize doctors who spread misinformation or disinformation by someone's definition about COVID-19 while he considers a pair of lawsuits challenged it um, on free speech, rather challenging it on free speech grounds. Senior U.S. District Judge William Shubb of Sacramento ruled on Wednesday that the Assembly Bill 2098, which was signed last October by the governor, Gavin Newsom, was too vague for doctors to know what kind of statements might put them at risk of being penalized. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll continue to look at the hard news and the lighter side of the news coming up in the second half of this hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Intel Corporation said on Thursday it expects to lose money in the current quarter, surprising investors with a bleaker than expected outlook for both the PC market and slowing growth in its key data center division as well. The company's shares fell 9% in trading after the bell. Denmark plans to boost armed forces by drafting women. They plan compulsory military conscription for women as the Nordic country seeks to significantly boost the size of its armed forces. The move can help Denmark meet its requirement under its NATO membership, but it would also be beneficial for the military if it had more women employed. So says the country's defense minister and deputy prime minister. Women currently comprise Less than 10% of Denmark's armed forces, Norway became the first NATO members to begin drafting women in 2015. Denmark announced last month it will increase defense spending by $660 million to hit the NATO benchmark of 2% of GDP going toward the country's military budget. Democrats are unhappy with Ron DeSantis rejecting advanced placement African-American studies for students. Several Florida students say they plan to sue the state and Governor DeSantis over the state's rejection of the um, studies course in state schools. The law is backed by civil rights attorney Crump and attorney Craig Winselhunt, uh, who will be representing three AP Honors high school students. In an unprecedented development filled with implications for American studies, the Illinois governor, J.B. Pritzker, is now demanding the role played by black queer Americans be included in college boards soon to be revised AP African-American studies. 
And Education Commissioner Manny Diaz says despite the lies from the Biden White House, Florida rejected an AP course filled with critical race theory and other obvious violations of Florida law. We proudly require the teaching of African-American history. We do not accept woke indoctrination masquerading as education. So why unemployment is uh, low? Why is it? Well, the number of uh, prime working men ages 25 through 54 who have effectively dropped out of the workforce has grown over the last several decades and now totals some 7.2 million. Labor force participation for men in 1953 was 98 percent. Fast forward to today and that rate has dropped to 89 percent. Mike Rowe of Dirty Jobs fame observes that for several million working age men, when it comes to employment opportunities, they've chosen to do nothing. Jay Timmons, who heads the National Association of Manufacturers, notes that there are more jobs than people to fill those job openings, which he says is the number one problem for 99 percent of manufacturing companies. He adds that the average pay for manufacturing jobs is over thirty one dollars an hour, which is not small potatoes. So what explains this increasing dropout rate of men from the workplace? There are several factors, including negative stereotypes associated with manufacturing jobs, a lack of skills and the number of working age men with criminal records. It turns um, uh, thanks uh, to fewer fathers at work. Finally, there's Uncle Sam. An increasing number of men are living off of government handouts and benefits. And what are these non-working men doing? Well, they have effectively become couch potatoes. As data shows, these men are averaging nearly seven hours a day watching television and playing video games. The so-called Rainbow Mafia is still after Christian cake baker Jack Phillips. On Thursday, he lost his appeal case in the Colorado Supreme Court over his refusal to make a cake with a theme celebrating gender transition. Doesn't sound like a setup to me at all. Modern art or pagan idol? The appellate division courthouse in New York City recently had a new six-foot sculpture fixed to its roof that is meant to honor the late U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The strange work of modern art is entitled Now, a reference to the National Organization of Women and more specifically to RBG's legacy of support for abortion. The bronze statue is a figure of a woman with large braids on each side of her head, curling in the shape of something resembling a ram's horn. Protruding from the place of the statue's arms are octopus-like tentacles twisting in on each other. And at the statue's base, the figure is rising out of a lotus flower. Well, the artist explained that the statue is a fierce woman and a form of resistance in a space that has historically been dominated by patriarchal representation. Would have been nice if it had just been a woman challenging patriarchal representation. Rather, we have a rather mythical creature that some say represents Medusa. Others say it, um, it turned abortion into a pagan idol of worship to put on the courthouse. Well, Brian Kemp declared a state of emergency to deal with Atlanta's domestic terrorism and unconstitutionally vague. A judge blocks California's covid misinformation law. A Biden judicial nominee failed to explain the basics of the U.S. Constitution during a confirmation hearing. And former President Trump stopped in New Hampshire ahead of a South Carolina visit on Saturday. His campaign At least he's attempting to kick it off. AP Stylebook recommends getting rid of the labels. In other words, like the French or the poor. So the, it's now fallen into disfavor. More's the pity. Well, on this day in history, 1756, composer Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, rather, is born in Salzburg, Austria. 1880, Thomas Edison receives a patent for his electric incandescent light. 
On this day in history, in 1943, some 50 bombers strike Wilhelmshaven in the first all-American air raid against Germany during World War II. 1945, on this day in history, during World War II, Soviet troops liberate the Nazi concentration camps Auschwitz and Birkenau in Poland. 1951, an era of atomic testing in the Nevada desert begins as an Air Force plane drops a one kiloton bomb on Frenchman Flat. On this day in history, 1967, astronauts Virgil I, Gus Grissom and Edward H. White and Roger B. Chaffee die in a flash fire during a test aboard their Apollo spacecraft. Also in 1967, on this day in history, more than 60 nations signed a treaty banning the deployment of nuclear weapons in outer space. 1973, the Vietnam Peace Accords are signed in Paris. 1977, the Vatican issues a declaration reaffirming the Roman Catholic Church's ban on female priests. On this day in history, 1984, Michael Jackson suffers serious burns to his scalp, when pyrotechnics set his hair on fire during the filming of a Pepsi-Cola TV commercial at the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles. And on this day in history, 1998, First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton on NBC's Today Show charges the sexual misconduct allegations against her husband, President Bill Clinton, are the work of a vast right-wing conspiracy. And finally, on this day in history, 2018, comic uh, comic strip artist Mort Walker, a World War II veteran who satirized the army with the antics of the lazy private Beetle Bailey, dies in Connecticut at age 94. Beetle Bailey was kind of a big deal back in the day, but it's um, long gone now. Well, as is typically the case on a Friday afternoon, we spend the second half of the first hour taking a look at the lighter side of the news, which is precisely what we will do. I say we because James Blend will join me. Uh, He's going to join me for a taste test as well. We'll tell you more about that in just a few moments. And, of course, the Christian Outlook in our second hour. We'll hear from Lois Anderson, my interview with her on Oregon Right to Life, the March for Life that's coming up this Sunday, by the way, at the Oregon State Capitol. We'll also hear from Sarah Zylstra of the Gospel Coalition. She'll talk about the pro-life message and the recent election. And finally, Nuri Turkel, author of No Escape, the true story of China's genocide of the Uyghurs. All of that coming up right here on The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. As promised, we're going to take a look at the lighter side of the news, and I've invited James Blend to join me to do just that. But we've also been joined by Justin Mansfield. Why right. so many, you might ask? Well, we're going to engage in a taste test. Now, many of you remember Sierra Mist, a very popular soda, sort of, kind of, if you liked it. (laughs) Well, it's been sidelined again. Pepsi's new contender in the lemon-lime soda wars. Did you know there are lemon-lime soda wars? Well, anyway, Starry is the new uh, contender. It has replaced Sierra Mist. Now, this is just the latest move by the beverage company to compete with Sprite, which is Coca-Cola's lemon-lime soft drink, which has captured 7% share of the $82 billion U.S. soda market, according to uh, Bloomberg. Now, Sierra Mist held just 0.1%, which explains why their newest um, offering, named Starry, is what we're going to be taste testing today. Starry, who came up with the name? It's a good question because it's not a very good one. It's certainly not, it doesn't, you know, strike me as particularly creative. The logo is just kind of very 
plane, and uh, I almost feel like we're looking at a test uh, a test product that uh, hasn't gotten its final name or logo yet. But alas, here it is from Pepsi. It is the, the successor to what I unaffectionately referred to as Sierra Mistake. Yeah. <laughs> and this may be either Starry or, as you said earlier, Starry or Sorry. We'll yeah, find out. Yeah. Now all the bottles are about the same. Uh, they're all green and yellow and white. It's lemon lime, of course. Um, the 7-Up, which we're, we'll be taste testing, is a green bottle. The Sprite is the clear bottle with the green label. And then Starry has sort of a bright green um, and yellow top and design around it with a big lemon. Now so the, It's uh, clearly designed for Instagram. <laughs> well, the question is, is it going to be a big lemon? Because this uh, this may not measure up to what people actually like. So we're actually going to taste test the beverage. Let's begin with the 7-Up. Which, of course, is the original. Each of the us. classic 7-Up. Each of classic us has a bottle of uh, the 7-Up, and we're going to. Okay. Now, is there a protocol to taste testing soda? Do you swish it around in your mouth? Do you smell it first? Do you swish it around the glass? I mean, where, where do we spit it out at? <laughs> I think not anywhere oh, in the studio. Oh, oh, okay. okay, so I'm swirling it around in my glass. Hold it in your mouth and I don't know leave. why. Okay. Okay, here we go. Definitely 7-Up. Yep, the classic flavor. Tastes very Mm 7-Up-y. Not overly bubbly. That's always one thing I've liked about 7-Up. And not overpoweringly sweet. Never has been. Okay, I'm going to try a little more. Okay, traditional 7-Up tastes just like... 7-Up. Traditional 7-Up. I feel like maybe we didn't need an experiment to determine that, but... (laughs) Well, we're just comparing it to the final version. Any any excuse for a... uh, you know, end of the work day, work week, uh, sugar high. Okay, now we're, we're going with Sprite. We forgot our palate cleanser. What would that be with soda oh, no, pop? Water, I guess. I don't know. That's fine. I'd say a chocolate, maybe a piece of pie. Chocolate is a palate. A donut. Cleanser. I, I, I admit to, to donuts. In, yes. in, bacon? in being full bacon? disclosure, <laughs> bacon <laughs> Sprite has always been my favorite. Okay, okay. so you do have a built-in I bias. I have a built-in bias. I'm going to pour some in. Right, I may have had one with lunch this afternoon earlier. So but. you may have disqualified yourself. I may let's, have. Uh, we'll let's see. taste it, gentlemen. It's bubbly. Mm-hmm. Sweeter than the 7-Up. Always has Sweeter. been. Sweeter than the 7-Up. And definitely more noticeable side by side. Yeah. Okay. And it's the, was it the, what did they used to refer to it? The refreshing taste of Lyman? Lyman, yes. Lyman. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it. The familiars. The popular. Now we're going to the new, the untested, the untried, Starry. 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 Wow. I'm not really getting that, but open that up. 20 years ago, would any of us believe that we were going to be drinking Starry? I don't think so. Okay. No, we were, we were still mourning the loss of Slice. The yeah, the previous. Oh, I've forgotten that, all about that. Yes. Slice was, yeah, the predecessor to Sierra Mistake. <laughs> Slice and there was actually orange slice as well. I remember I will say, that. Putting the cup up to my nose, I already it has. I mean, if you will, more nose to it mm. than the oh, other. Oh, for two. crying out loud! Ain't there's a soda pop. More, well, they just put more chemicals. Right, it does. It does have more of a smell, which can be a good thing or a not so good thing. Here we go. Especially because it kind of smells slightly like Alka Seltzer. It's of course no uh, no caffeine, lemon lime flavored soda. Here we go. Zero sugar versions are also available. This one has um, straight up um, the sugar that everyone eschews. Corn syrup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the one positive about Sierra Mistake. They used real sugar. 
Yeah, so this one doesn't. Okay, I haven't tasted it yet. Here we go. It may smell like Alka-Seltzer, but it doesn't taste like Alka-Seltzer. It is the, at least I feel it's the the most carbonated of the three. Yeah, and all three bottles were opened at the same time. Brand new bottles, so they would be approximately their intended carbonation. Hmm. Yeah, I... I don't know. I'd say, without having it side by side to compare, um, it it does to be. Uh, it's more pleasant than Sierra Mistake. Mm-hmm. See, I uh, don't remember Sierra Mistake, so I, I only I can't got it really when I absolutely had no choice, and there was yeah no other option. I, yeah, I, I didn't like it from the beginning, and I've well, I just don't see why this would be necessary. I guess they're trying to compete. I don't. I don't well, know I mean, why this is necessary. It all started about thirty years ago, if I remember right, when Pepsi tried to buy Seven Up, mm. um, and Seven Up said, "No, we're doing fine on our own." And uh, uh, Pe- you know, Pepsi wanted in on the lemon lime market, so they created their own, and they just keep trying. Never to quite got it got right. It. And I would, I would say that this is an improvement, but I would go so far as to say. They haven't got it quite right. Well, it's just a poor substitute, it seems to me. I mean, it's, it's a it's, nice <clears throat> option, I suppose, I mean, if you like Pepsi products, but... it's. I mean, it is it is more similar to Sprite than it is to either uh, Sierra Mist or 7-Up. I think it's definitely Correct. more fruity. Yeah, it is more it has, fruity. And I, it has yeah. a lingering fruity flavor. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, probably the main times I'm going to drink this is at Taco Bell, and quite frankly... The spices at uh, Taco Bell cancel out the taste of the sodas anyway, <laughs> which is why I was able to handle Sierra Mist there. But uh, well, you know, the Federal Communications Commission requires us to broadcast in the public interest. Absolutely, and I think what we have done here today is save people from having to try this on their own. Now, if you once get again, stuck with it, you'll be fine. How would you characterize overall. Starry uh, in comparison to its predecessor? And how would you <laughs> a lot of carbonation there? And how would you compare it to the two front runners, James? I would say that it is definitely a a step forward for Pepsi, uh, but um, they still remain trailing in third place. Justin, uh, yeah, I would I would agree. It's more drinkable than Sierra Mist was, which always kind of tasted like some sort of cleaner to me. Um, <laughs> I want to know how you know what cleaner tastes like. Well, you know, you know when it's left over. Oh, true. You know, you haven't you haven't rinsed out the cup all the way, and ooh. Anyway, uh, yeah, it just kind of gave me that impression. Uh, My assessment is that they're all lemon lime, and if you put ice in a cup, I'm going to drink any one of them. It makes no difference to me. Oh, there you go. Yeah, discerning discerning. uh, There are more important issues in the world, and. Which one of these seven ups is preferable is of little, little consequence. I mean, maybe Starry will save the world. Maybe it will somehow bring the political parties together, the Republicans and the Democrats. They'll sit down to a meal and they'll serve Starry and everyone will suddenly look at each other with stars in their eyes. They'll recognize the value of each of their colleagues. They'll break into laughter. They'll invite families over to one another's homes. They'll. Okay, that's probably not. Or maybe happen. it'll be a bipartisan decision to ban the stuff. Who knows? <laughs> that's more likely. <laughs> All right. Well, we've done it, and um, I, I suppose it had some value to someone somewhere. What do we do with all the leftovers? I'll be drinking Starry for a while, I think. <laughs> Especially because uh, you know 
in, in full disclosure, we were not provided any free product with this. I went out and purchased it. And twelve dollars is soda quite bar. introductory price right there out there right now. So I may have gotten it for about a quarter a bottle. Um, so I may have bought in a few. Are you so, are you so are you sorry that you tried Starry? No, I mean it, you know, like I said, I prefer Sprite. Uh, I prefer Seven Up, but it's drinkable. So. My question is, can you make Seven Up cake with Starry? Oh. Probably. I mean, I would I, think. I don't, I don't see yes, why but will it be as good? It's basically the same thing. No. Yeah. Okay. Not as good. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. The most useful information that we have provided. Probably in the last 10 years since we did that <laughs> bacon soda tasting. Right, the bacon. Oh, oh don't bring up the bacon soda. Oh. I still have nightmares about that. I do, too. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, broadcasting in the interest of the public as the FCC requires. <sighs> Sorry. We'll be back. No starry. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Uh, glad to have you with us. We just solved one of the uh, the mysteries of the universe with the new Starry Soda. I think the reviews were it's palatable, but not the preferable. Would that be a fair way to put it? Yeah, I think so. It, it's it's uh, preferable to previous versions without... Uh uh, exceeding either of the two market leaders, if you will. Well, speaking of beverages, starting next month, the Portland Cafe is going to start selling $150 cups of coffee. It's created from an award-winning bean that apparently is very expensive to get. Uh, this is an Australian-based comp- uh, coffee company, Proud Mary Coffee Roasters, and they're going to be offering a Black Jaguar Geisha coffee from Panama. That's starting not next week, but the week after, February 6th. And just 22 cups will be sold in the United States at the company's cafes here in Portland, in Austin, and in Texas. So what makes the coffee so special? I'm sure that's the question you're asking. $150 for a single cup of coffee? Well, the company says the coffee recently won first place in the 2022 Best of Panama competition. Okay. One of the most prestigious coffee competitions in the world. Oh. Proud Mary paid $2,000 for one pound of the beans, which makes me question the judgment of Proud Mary for paying $2,000 for one pound of the beans. They opened the flagship location here in the U.S. in 2017, right here in Portland. It's surprising, not Seattle, but Portland, and a cafe and wholesale roastery. Um, <laughs> I was going to say rosary, but it's a roastery is part of their setup. So starting on February 6th, will you be there to uh, bid on a $150 cup of coffee? You know, I, I, I'd much rather stick with uh, a, a $0.25 cent, uh, uh, Sprite knockoff. <laughs> you think the Starry would be better than the $150 cup? As somebody that doesn't like coffee, for me, probably. Absolutely. But, yeah. uh, you know, at the end of the day, I... It's what a buck fifty to buy a thing of little Folgers crystals or whatever. Um, I'm not sure there's a hundred and fifty dollar difference between the two. Yeah, I I wonder what the difference in flavor must be. Right, I'm sure it that probably would tastes better. Hundred and fifty, but hundred fifty dollars worth. And could you go through life without having tasted it and be just fine? I mean, what are you going to do? Bring twenty of your closest friends and share a cup? Yeah, <laughs> there's a ew a, a sip each, even pre pandemic ew. <laughs> Well, a school is hoping that their lights can finally be shut off after a rather costly glitch. Uh, they're hoping that the lights at a Massachusetts high school is going to be able to turn the lights off by the end of, the, of next month. Not this month, by the end of next month, about a year and a half 
after a computer glitch kept the lights on night and day. This has been a year and a half, and it's not going to be until next month, the end of next month, that this is going to be resolved. Just pull the plug. Well, the unusual challenge faced by the uh, regional high school located in western Massachusetts um, means that there has been no way to turn the lights off short of unscrewing bulbs or flipping circuit breakers that leave entire sections of the building in the dark. So this has been quite a conundrum for them. We're very much aware that this is a um, waste of taxpayers' uh, uh, money, a significant amount of money, uh, says the assignment superintendent of finance at the school. And we have been doing everything that we can to get the problem solved. He estimated the extra cost to the district for the nearly 7,000 lights and the 248,000 square foot building is in the thousands of dollars a month, but not in the tens of thousands of dollars. I guess that's some small consolation. The school serves about 1,200 students from the towns of Wilbraham and Hampton in um, in Massachusetts. My understanding is early on in the in the problem in, in this problem, they did find a potential solution that they thought was going to work, and it almost worked. Uh, they installed all over the school the clapper, and then they had a pep rally, and that's when things went bad. They went bad. They yeah. went bad. Can you imagine? Twenty four seven lights on everywhere in the whole school. That's because they got to have nightmares. It's always school going on. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. Well, um, re- Americans reportedly consume 15 billion quarts of popcorn per year, and this past week was National Popcorn Day. What better way to celebrate than by uh, learning a bit of history? Of course, the celebration has now come and gone. But uh, according to the National Popcorn Board, and yes, there is a National Popcorn Board. It's the oldest known ears of corn that were popped are from about 4,000 years ago and were discovered in current-day New Mexico in 1948 and 1950. Meanwhile, History.com reported in 2018 that there were traces of popcorn in a thousand-year-old Peruvian tombs. Popcorn was popular for late-night snacks by a fire and at picnics, the website reported. In the 1890s, Charles Crestors created the first popcorn popping machine, and by 1900, he created a horse-drawn popcorn wagon, which led to mass consumption of the snack. Popcorn didn't hit movie theaters until the Great Depression, according to Smithsonian Magazine. In fact, the movie theaters that started selling popcorn were able to survive the Great Depression, while other movie theaters had to close because of poor sales. The first microwavable uh, popcorn bag was patented by General Mills in 1981. Today, Americans consume 15 billion quarts of popcorn per year, according to the National Popcorn Board. So there you have it. You know, that 4,000-year-old popcorn is still available today. You can get that right now in abundance. (laughs) During the top of the outbreak, I'll tell you which movie theater in Portland carries it regularly. On the floor? (laughs) No, not on the floor. That's the sad part. Oh, well. I remember when Jiffy Pop came out. I thought that was the coolest thing oh, ever. Oh, my goodness, it was. And it would, you know, uh, for those who are too young to remember, it would pop up and it would be kind of a balloon over the top of the pan. And that was absolutely I used to thrilling. beg my parents to buy Jiffy Pop at the grocery store when I was a kid. The problem it, is it didn't pop a whole lot of popcorn and it didn't pop all that well, but it still They was still make it. A, you yeah, can still get it. They still do. Well, in Brussels, they are very environmentally minded and they are recycling human hair to protect the environment. 
coiffeurs across Belgium are sweeping up and bagging their hair clippings from their customers and then handing it over to the NGO that recycles it to protect the environment. Hmm. The Hair Recycle Project feeds locks and tresses into a machine that turns them into matted squares that can be used to absorb oil and other hydrocarbons polluting the environment or made into biocomposite bags of human hair. Project co-founder explaining that one kilogram or 2.2 pounds of hair can absorb uh, 1.8 to 2 pounds or 2 gallons, I should say, of oil and hydrocarbons. Uh, the mats can be placed in drains or soaked up, uh, soak up pollution in water before it reaches the river. I would, Rather, I would just like to sweep idea. up my, my haircut clippings and just glue them back on, especially in my bald <laughs> spot. That would be that would be most helpful for me. Well, there is that. I'll go to that recycling. You might want to be in touch with Belgium. They might be willing to loan you a little square. It's like those carpet samples they used to sell at the, <laughs> at the carpet stores. Where, it would be you know, something of a carpet. Yeah. An Oregon woman whose suitcase was lost during a United Airlines flight home from Chicago said she was reunited with her bag. That's not altogether surprising, but it was four years later, and it took a a detour to Central America. April Gavin posted a series of videos to TikTok explaining how her luggage was lost by the airline when she flew home from a business trip in Chicago way back in 2018. She said after several months of searching, the airlines informed her that the bag's disappearance was a mystery. She was compensated for some of her lost items, but not all of them. She said that she was shocked to receive a phone call this week informing her that her suitcase had turned up at an airport in Houston. She said she was further surprised um, that it had arrived on a flight from Honduras. So who knows where it spent most of that four years. It was in Honduras and who knows where else it went, she said. Uh, but it came from Honduras, went to Houston, and they called me. Well, Gavin said the bag was slightly damaged and worn, but its contents were intact. She said the United Airlines told her um, part of the difficulty in tracking the bag was that it didn't, uh, it hadn't been properly scanned when she checked it before flying to Chicago. You know, it reminds me, a couple of years ago, I ordered something from uh, a certain large online ordering firm. <laughs> and it was uh, coming by U.S. mail, and it went to Hawaii before it came here. And I said to that at that point the same thing I'll say here. The luggage had more fun than most people do on their vacations. Well, probably. I mean, that's the thing. It's a world traveler. And, you know, here we are stuck at home. <laughs> Sad. Yeah. Well, a University of Michigan student is one of the world's foremost speed cubers, a person capable of quickly solving a Rubik's Cube. He also is an accomplished violinist, and while we don't have time to go into the uh, the details, he says that the two fields go hand in hand. Maybe we'll revisit this next week, but Rubik's Cube and I want to know more. Violin, absolutely. Hey, we need to take a break. We've got news and traffic here at the top of the hour, and in our second hour, the Christian Outlook. So stay with us. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.